to the Gibson Girl Review, the book review podcast that rescues antique novels from the doom of mere decor and puts them back where they rightfully belong, in your to-be-read pile. Join us every week as we rediscover forgotten stories from the Gilded Age and Progressive Era and uncover just how entertaining and relevant they still are more than a century later. to the first five pages challenge, a new project of the Gibson Girl Review. These new episodes will fall in between our regular review episodes, and this will be your chance to help us decide which books to review on the show. So, what is it all about? Well, in the modern publishing industry, agents and editors are so inundated with submissions that they read little more than the first five pages before deciding whether or not they're interested in a manuscript. If they are, they keep reading. If they aren't, it goes in the reject pile. Along the same lines, we here at the Gibson Girl Review have thousands of books to choose from for our book reviews, and we need a way to narrow that down. So we thought, let's apply the first five pages rule to our antique novels, and let's let you, our listeners, be the judge. So here's how this works. In each first five pages episode, we will give you the title, author, and a brief description from a historical advertisement of a Gilded Age or Progressive Era novel that we are considering for the podcast. And then one of our readers will share the first five pages of that book. At the end of the episode, simply click on the Vote Now link in our show notes to vote whether we should read or reject the book. And here's where the challenge part comes in, because whichever book has the most yes votes at the end of this season will be declared the winner and will be featured on the show next season. So without further ado, today's entry into the first five pages challenge is Another Woman's Territory by Louisa Alice Baker under the pseudonym Alien, first published in 1901. Set in 19th century Australia and New Zealand, this story deals wholly with the trials and often unseen tragedies of everyday life, as an estranged husband seeks comfort and sympathy in the arms of another woman, only to have that woman turn the tables and befriend his wife. We are so excited to have Rachel Pengeli joining the Gibson Girl Review family as one of our new readers. Rachel is from New Zealand, so she was the perfect pick to read the first five pages of today's book for us. So, let's listen in and see what we think of Another Woman's Territory. Chapter 1. A First Antagonism It was a wild night, and the great valley that lay between a curving sweep of mountains was torn by the wind. Fitful moon gleams shone in patches on the swollen river that roared between its rocky barriers, and the only man on the road looked anxiously ahead for a friendly light. He knew there ought to be a township near, but when the dense cloud rifts obscured the moon, the landscape was blotted out 
and the dull thunder of the river was the only guide. In his search for new worlds, Howard Gray had tramped many miles of the famous west coast, carrying his swag like a sundowner, camping by lonely riversides or in deserted huts where there were no wayside inns or hospitable farmhouses to receive him. Sometimes he had taken coach, sometimes ridden through the heart of the mining country. He had seen all sorts of odd nook-and-corner townships built among trailings on the verge of forests and the banks of streams. He had heard strange stories with which his brain was busy for future use. And a new passionate hope surged up in his heart that by one of them he might yet make himself more than heard. He had escaped from city routine and fatigue to flee the ghost that was pursuing him. The ghost of failure. To the world he was clever, talented. The word he hungered for was genius and he scorned himself that he had missed it. The kingdom of heaven meant to him kingdom over his fellow men, not partial, but absolute. To dictate thought, to sway, move, rule. For this he had suffered, sacrificed and toiled, for the ecstasy, the intoxication of triumph he would willingly give all else. And he had only achieved. In bitterest contempt he viewed his achievement. He had piled it up, grain by grain, with a patience defying all obstacles. Difficulties, instead of damping his zeal, had but roused in him an obstinate determination that gave to his face a look of power, and to his manner a cool self-possession, which was mistaken for mastery. In his own pitiless criticism of himself, he did not hit upon his real lack of dominion, lack of the poet soul, with its exuberant sympathies and fruitful imaginations. He had looked everywhere for inspiration save in himself, and a deep inner conviction had taken hold of him that first burst of intellectual enthusiasm, which had stirred him to vigorous effort, had spent itself. He was oppressed with a sense of mediocrity. He had plunged into new scenes, and snatched at physical exercise as a distraction, and falling in with a wild, romantic phase of life, pursued it with the deliberate tenacity of purpose characteristic of him. The wind was momentarily growing colder. The masses of cloud, banked like great rocks, lowered, and presently Howard Gray felt the tingling of snow in his face. Each minute it grew thicker, and the night darkened about him ominously. There was but one thing to do, to press on. And, descending and still descending into the heart of the valley, the twinkling of a light at last gladdened him. But it was on the other side of the river. After long search, he had all but abandoned hope of a crossing, when from the opposite bank a faint reached his ears. He listened intently. It was no mistake. Again came the welcome cry, and putting his hand to his mouth, Howard made answer. He was startled by what could not have been an echo behind him. He turned quickly, and dimly outlined was the figure of a man. For a moment neither spoke. Are you looking for the bridge? 
asked a singularly cultured voice in which there lurked an accent of fretful weariness. I thought there should be a bridge somewhere about. It is lower down, answered the first speaker with more eagerness of tone. This way, he added, and Howard felt a hand upon his arm, leading him to the bank at the edge of the stream. They pushed through some bush, and then Howard saw the dim outline of the bridge. Take care, said his companion, still guiding him. It is little broader than a plank, with a handrail on one side only. A false step and... listen! The water tore beneath them with a dull roar. Here and there, where a rift in the clouds let through a gleam of light, it picked out the white foam. For a moment, the narrow bridge on which they stood appeared a raft being whirled on the turbulent stream. In a sudden giddiness, it seemed to Howard Gray that he fell and was being swept away. But steady! He felt a hand under his arm. The illusion passed. Here we are, said the young man, still directing Howard's steps as they ascended the bank on the opposite side of the river. And the stranger saw that the light which had guided him was a lamp swinging in a cottage porch. It cast a long streak of brightness over the snow and shone on a slight girlish figure standing directly under its rays. Welcome to the Fare. This is my sister Caroline Osmond. My name is Frank Osmond. And mine, Howard Gray. The novelist. The novelist. Both brother and sister had spoken, but the two words had been uttered in exactly opposite tones by the young man, eagerly, by the girl, indifferently. The room into which Howard was ushered was furnished with extreme simplicity, but the chintz-covered couches and chairs and the blazing fire on the hearth had a look of comfort. There was an absence of tawdry cottage decorations that distinguished its occupants from the usual dwellers in so remote a country place. Ingeniously constructed bookcases filled every nook. Bookshelves ran round the walls. History, philosophy, science, and all the best in poetry and fiction had found its way to this isolated retreat. During the supper that was presently served, Howard Gray studied the young man and woman with half-fascinated attention. Frank Osmond, at moments, looked little more than a boy of twenty-one, except for strange deep lines that were cut into brow and cheek. His features were clear-cut and refined. There was an expression of keen interest at times in the large brown eyes, which at moments would cloud and dim, or else, his observer concluded, it was the effect of the glasses he wore. He seemed to have fastened onto his new acquaintance with eagerness and a pleasure he did not conceal. And there you have it, the first five pages of Another Woman's Territory by Louisa Alice Baker, and it's time for you to decide. Should we keep reading this book or reject it? Click on the Vote Now link in today's show notes to tell us what you think we should do. But don't delay. Voting is only open for two weeks until our next first five pages entry is revealed. We'll be back next week with an all-new old book review. So until then, happy voting and keep reading like a Gibson girl. Thank you for listening to the Gibson Girl Review, a Curious Antiquarian production. For complete show notes, transcripts, download links, and more, please visit us at gibsongirlreview.com. 